Well, this is a great privilege to be speaking to you all. Um, It's my second time speaking at Tyndale Chapel. Well, you guys are really far away. Uh, It's the first time in in the new chapel, though, and and you all know it's it's nice in here. Uh, Let me just pray and we'll get started. Gracious and Holy Father, give us wisdom to discover you, the intelligence to understand you, the diligence to seek after you, the patience to wait for you, eyes to behold you, a heart to meditate upon you, and a life to proclaim you. Through the power of the Spirit of Jesus our Lord. Amen. Words, words, words. Those words put into the mouth of the Prince of Denmark by the Bard himself in Act 2 of Scene 2. Words uh, constitute much of our life. Words have brought peace. Words have launched revolutions. You come to a university to read and write words. You can't graduate from university until our chancellor confers your degree using words, possibly in English. When I worked for 911, I heard many people's final words. Words can comfort, words can cause pain. The lack of words can cause doubt and anxiety, and when your words don't match your actions, they can cause a lack of integrity. I have been very grateful over the last few days for those of you who have put words together in prayer for me. Um, I have been quite sick. Uh, My body is trying to force me to take the vacation I didn't get when I was on vacation uh, because I was moving. Uh, So I'm very thankful to be able to be here physically. A couple of examples from history. The namesake of this university, uh, William Tyndale, was killed for making words more accessible to people who spoke in English. He wrote the first translation in English directly from the Greek and the Hebrew, and he was killed for it. Uh, Some of you may remember uh, Malala from Pakistan, the 15-year-old girl who was shot on her way home from school. Shot because she wanted to listen to, read, and write words. They say that the pen is mightier than the sword. Well, the pen's nothing special. It's what the pen does. It's the words the pen puts on the paper or the parchment. Uh, Martin Luther and his theses, Martin Luther King and his speeches. Words are so important to us that we, oh, uh, don't let you steal them. You have to cite your words if you want to use someone else's. Words are so important that we protect your freedom of speech. Most Western countries have codified in their constitutions freedom of speech. At a university, we have academic freedom, which gives you a certain freedom to read and write what you wish. Words have limits. Words, you look at a sunset, it may be breathtaking and you have no words. Or you may look upon breathless destruction and not know what to say because it is so powerful. And this is why they say an image is worth a thousand words. 
Would we be where we are today in the refugee crisis of bringing refugees to Canada if it wasn't for that one picture of that young boy washed up, deceased on the shore? Sure, you could have described it using words, but nothing's as powerful as that picture. Looking at that picture and knowing there are no words for what you've seen, but it creates a desire for action. But there is one word that brings us together today, that brings us together as a community, that brings us together in our call to be here at Tyndale, whether it was as a student, a staff member, a faculty. The word who became fleshed, who inspired words to be written so that we may learn and be directed ever closer to him. In Genesis 1.1, we hear, in the beginning, everyone knows these words because when you start your Bible reading plan in January and, and you're going to read it for the whole year, you, you've done this before. So you've read in the beginning at least five times. And God said, the power of a word to create a whole universe, entire worlds, people. I wanted to give you a, an example of um, scale. Trying to comprehend the scale of what God's created outside of earth is impossible. But I wanted to draw this image. So this is a, a, a famous image called the pale blue dot. I don't know if you can see it. This little thing right here, that's earth. Carl Sagan, um, a well-known um, astronomer and sadly atheist, who um, convinced NASA to turn the Voyager 1 space probe around. It was headed past Saturn, wasn't expected to keep working past Saturn, but it did. And they turned him around, and in 1990 they took this picture. This picture was taken 6 billion kilometers away from Earth. 6 billion, which in and of itself is incomprehensible. But that's us, you, me, everyone we know, everyone who's ever populated earth, every building, every animal, every child, every plant, every chapel is in that little blue dot. In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. He was with God in the beginning, through him all things were made. Without him nothing was made that has been made. In him was life, and that life was the light of all mankind. The light shines in the dark, and the darkness has not overcome it. I was reading those verses as I was thinking of this image, and it occurred to me the amazing sort of fact that even six billion years, or six billion years, six billion kilometers away, you can still see our planet. It's a great metaphor for the light of God that the darkness can never overcome his light. The word, in the beginning we're told in Genesis, the word spoke and created. In John, he speaks with love of Christ and who he was. The word from the beginning, the word with God, the word was God. Everything made through him. We well understand to a point we accept 
the power that God's word has. We accept that we know we, he spoke all of us into existence. But again, that is in some ways such a large act that we find it difficult to um, comprehend at times. What power do our words have? Um, our words in life are somehow connected to our faith. In the Gospel of Matthew, Jesus said, because you have so little faith. And he's not saying this in a mocking tone. He's saying this in a, they think in a loving tone. Uh, Truly I tell you, if you have faith as small as a mustard seed, just, just, just a little bit more, just a little bit more than what you have now, you can say to this mountain, move from here to there, and it will move. Nothing will be impossible for you. Now I have um, held back from trying to get uh, Mount Everest to move because I'm not convinced that would be good for the planet. I don't know where I'd put it. Uh, So I assume that this is perhaps some sort of, uh, that this is a metaphor, but the point is we have the power. If we have faith, he gives us power. Uh, This is also, I should note, in the, they're standing in the shadow of the Mount of Transfiguration. So this isn't just any mountain they're talking about. Do we understand the power of words? Someone who did was a centurion. He came to Jesus and said, my servant lies at home paralyzed, suffering terribly. Jesus said to him, well, should, should I come to him and heal him? The centurion said, Lord, I do not deserve to have you under my roof. But just say the word and my servant will be healed. For I myself am a man under authority with soldiers under me. I tell this one go and he goes. And this one come and he comes. I say to my servant, do this and he does it. And then Jesus said, go, let it be done just as you believed it would. And his servant was healed at that moment. This centurion understood the power of Christ. This is a Gentile, not particularly religious. He understood that Christ had the power to just speak or think and make it happen. He was also extremely humble. I don't deserve to have you under my roof. Do we understand the power of Christ's words? Do we believe the promises that come out of his mouth when he speaks to us in scripture? Do we understand the power that that holds for us today? And yes, there are things that are hard to understand. Uh, As I say, the scope of the universe. Every time I try and think about how big just a galaxy is, never mind everything, it boggles the mind. Jesus came, he gave us life, new life with him into eternity because... He spoke. But he also has expectations for us. As much as scripture speaks as the power of what he has done, it is also peppered with instructions of how we should act. For instance, okay, sword drill time. You don't even have to tell me the chapter. Just tell me what book you think it's from. Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such as is good for building up as fits the occasion that it may give grace to those who hear. Anyone? I heard it. 
Hmm? Corinthians? Should be. No, it's in Ephesians. Ephesians 4.29. Now low corrupting talk come out of your mouths. But why? Is it just because we don't want to talk negatively? Is it just because it's just we just want to be seen on the outside to be good Christians? No. The next path. But only such as is good for building up, as fits the occasion. So not every word is meant for every occasion. Not every word is suitable for every occasion, for every place you find yourself in every time, or even every physical circumstance. But good for building up. Do you speak words of building up? Do the words that you speak for building up outweigh the words you speak that tear down? The negative words you may say about someone. I think this is a very important verse because it highlights the fact this isn't just about us looking like proper Christians. Now, I think it's important for us to be seen in a certain light because you do have to, you're spo- we're supposed to be exuding the light of Christ. If all we see are Christians who do not exude the light of Christ, our witness is affected. But our witness is, not, is affected for a reason. Our witness is affected because we're not building up other people. We're not building up each other. So the challenge to you this week is think of somebody, whether it's in your department, someone in another department, send them an email. Send them an email to encourage them. If you need any help on who, just send someone an email. Just let them know how you feel about them, the impact that they have on your life, whether it's personally or professionally. Just let them know that you appreciate them. A soft answer turns away wrath, but a harsh word stirs up anger. That's Proverbs. If anyone thinks he is religious and does not bridle his tongue, but deceives his heart, this person's religion is worthless. This is a bit what I talked about earlier. Of, uh, someone described it to me once as your audio needs to match your video. What you say should match what we see. Are, are you happy? Yes! Okay. Even a fool who keeps silent is considered wise. I should, I should work on that one. Even a fool who keeps silent is considered wise. When he closes his lips, he is deemed intelligent. Sometimes it is what we don't say that speaks the most. And Ecclesiastes reminds us that there is a time to tear down and a time to sow, a time to keep silence and a time to speak. We are the people who are called to take actions towards justice, to look out for the other, to look out for those on the margins. And sometimes that will require us to use words and actions to call out the oppressor and to call up the oppressed. There are times to be silent and there are times to speak.
And finally, Colossians, let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how you ought to answer each person. Spend time in God's word, learning from him how he would respond, how he approaches people, how he loves people. Our Lord was not afraid of rebuking when it was necessary, but it was rebuking with a purpose. It was rebuking with the cause of calling them back, calling them to something better and providing that way. Just calling someone out to tear them down is not the way of Christ. We need to build people up. Whether they choose to follow and listen, that is up to them. That's between them and the Lord. But we must speak the words. Call them to something better, something higher. And finally, why ultimately do our words matter? Well, because we are ultimately God's, as Paul says, God's letters of recommendation. The only letter of recommendation we need is you, yourselves. Your lives are a letter written in the hearts, our hearts. Everyone can read it and recognize our good work among you. We should be careful not to allow our words or lack of words become a stumbling block to the faith of others. Don't become the reason someone separates from community and don't become the reason somebody steps away from Christ. Because by all this, people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. So as we go forth, remember that you are God's letters of recommendation. And it can be difficult sometimes when we work in a Christian institution. There are many things we take for granted, I think, as opposed to when we're out in the non, the secular world. And so I challenge you to not take these things for granted, to remember to build each other up, to remember that even those who are in the Lord, who are living in him, we need encouragement. And I have been grateful over the last uh, seven years that I've been a student here, a uh, student plus a staff member here, uh, to have received much encouragement from many people. We need to build the church up. We need to build each other up. And then we need to remember that the other rest of the world needs that as well. We are each other's letters of recommendation to each other. And we are each other's letters of recommendation to the world. Remember to love one another as you go forth in the rest of this week. Please stand for a benediction. Peace I leave with you, my peace I give you. I do not give to you as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled and do not be afraid. Go forth in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ to serve him and serve the world in peace. Amen.